I think I'm having an art attack. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Art Attack with your host, Lizzie Bastin and myself, Boa. I'm not calling me Justin Boa, and you call me Boa. It's not a problem at all. Nice to see you. Anyway. <laughs> I can't help it. Uh, oh my God, that was so good. So, oh. today, <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie likes my accents. I love them. You do so many of them. They're brilliant. Ben, c'est pas vrai. Ben, don't do anything at all. It's uh, for me. It's uh, ça va être facile. Si je veux to speak French or if I want to do whatever, it's okay, you know. Anyway, today we're going to talk about we're going to talk about a real artist. I mean, this artist. I love leading up like people are like what are I they know, talking? Everyone Meanwhile, else has they been read fake? the description, they know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I but know. I, but for me, I'm thinking like no one knows what I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to hit him like a Jeopardy question. Um, do 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 do. So Georgia O'Keeffe, she's a real artist. I mean, like there's artists who are. I'm not saying fake, but there are artists who really live it, walk it, breathe it, embody it, look it. And I feel like Georgia O'Keeffe is one of those few who was in every way, shape, and form the quintessential artist. She looked like an artist. She dressed like an artist. She thought like an artist. She gave two shits like an artist. She just was the real deal Holyfield. I mean, I'm not even kidding. She, uh, she came... Well, she lived to also... I don't know if you know that she lived in 99. I did. Jesus Christ. So she was she died in 86. So she was born in 1887. So she lived through two world wars, Vietnam War. I mean, she it just unreal. Her love of art, I believe, kept her alive through all those years. And during that, unlike Picasso, I'm going out on a limb here to say this. She never had a bad period of art. Never. She came from a dairy farm in Wisconsin uh, and moved to... Where did she move to after that? I just know then New York and then Santa Fe. Yeah, Santa Fe. Santa Fe and New York were her real stomping grounds. But whatever she did in her life, whether it was the flowers or the landscapes... Santa Fe landscapes, the flowers, the more symbolic work. Or the industrial, the industrial buildings right, in Manhattan, the architecture in, in New York. Whatever she did, she did well. There wasn't anything that she did that sucked. I know she went to school in Chicago, and she studied with William Merritt Chase. Are you kidding me? William Merritt Chase, one of the greatest American painters of all time. We should do an episode on him. But she was... Very good academically. She was a very good draftsman. She was a good painter, but she wasn't interested in that. She wasn't interested in copying. We do that as an exercise as artists to get better and to hone our skills, right? If you're going to be a piano player, you want to study your, your basics. Whatever you're doing, you're studying your basics. And she did that. She did it well. She went to a great school, and she got really great at it. But it was really her particular lens of how she saw the world and that's also what makes her the quintessential artist. And you know what else she was not interested in, which I think should be more emphasized than it is, is that she did not care about Europe. 
or European trends mm, or studying abroad. And she was part of this artistic enclave called Gallery 291. And it was led by this artist and also curator and art activist, Alfred Stieglitz. The photographer. The photographer, he who was also it, her husband. Right. He yeah. owned it. He right. owned it. Right. And so he put out this periodical called Camera Work. He had a corresponding gallery called 291. And he exhibited all of these really significant artists, these American modernists, Georgia O'Keeffe, Paul Strand, and a whole host of painters, too, who were trying to experiment with identifying an American idiom. What is it that signals and separates an American character and identity from Europe? However, all of the other people, like Marsden Hartley, Max Weber, they were still kind of side-eyeing Europe. They wanted to travel there. They wanted to study there. Some of them did. And Georgia O'Keeffe was resolute. She's like, nope, I'm in America. My identity... And the way that I characterize myself and my art is fully steeped in America. And so I'm going to stay here and I'm not interested in European trends. And so I think that that is a huge part of her raison d'etre as an artist, that she really just wanted to localize herself within her own American community. When she showed at 291... And this is another testament of why she is such an artist. It was her friend who sent her charcoal drawings to Stieglitz. And Stieglitz said, wow, these are really great. And they were very abstract, fun drawings, very different than the work that she had done in Chicago as a student. And she kind of branched out into her own abstract, swirling, feminine works. And he loved it. And he put her in the show. And that's what began the connection is because he really before he met her he saw her work and really loved her work and then when he met her he fell in love with her and then she wound up having a solo show at 291 yeah in 1917 which is a benchmark year because that was the year that the u.s entered into world war one and so i think that her connections to american history they're just inescapable but even more than loving her work when stieglitz saw those drawings that you mentioned he said finally a woman on paper mm. which i think is a really interesting statement also vaguely problematic because I don't necessarily think that there is a woman's aesthetic versus a man's aesthetic. But also this we're in the 19 teens. And so the way that we discuss and think about and identify gender at that time is really different from how we do today. So I guess localized in its historical context, it was seen as a hundred percent supportive. And Stieglitz really wanted her to to unearth her gendered identity. And he was always encouraging of that, which at the time was unheard of. And that's why these flowers that you mentioned, which are probably her most iconic series of works, why they are so they were so controversial and why we kind of ghettoize Virgin, or Virginia Woolf, huh, that's Freudian, why we ghettoize mm. Georgia O'Keeffe mm. as painting a particular thing. So I, I think her photograph by one of the greatest photographers of the time, Stieglitz, her boyfriend, soon-to-be husband or husband at the time, uh, really started to make her into this mythic figure of sexuality, which is, you know, listen, I think O'Keefe is the quintessential artist. I think she's phenomenal in so many ways. I really do. I love her work. She's probably my top 20 artist of all time. But... 
you know, much like Basquiat, you need a proxy. And at that time, the critics were like, okay, she is the check the box of sexual woman speaking for women and equal rights or whatever. And so, yeah, she became that. And I don't think she liked that. She was like, no, this is, these are flowers. These are not necessarily like my vagina. Everything is not a clitoris. Everything is not like labias. This is just what I'm doing and that's what I'm doing. So I think that pushed her into a box that she didn't like. She didn't want to accept that. And that's really when she started to grow and change and transform and you know, and and then the trip started happening to to New Mexico, and there in New Mexico, she finds the earth. You know, she finds landscape. What a great departure from flowers, right? That is completely the antithesis of just sitting in your studio copying photographs. What does she do? She goes to the land. She does a plain air thing. Did you know this? That she's sitting out there in the baking sun. Sometimes she can't go into the sun spots, uh, the shady spots, because the, the Indians are there. The American Indians are sitting there, and she doesn't want to go there. She can't sit in the baking sun. She's sitting under her car. It's very uncomfortable. She's painting from her car, but she's painting from life. What a better way to really understand the, the earth, the burnt siennas, the raw umbers, the tones that she gets. She says this. She's like, I really thought somebody could teach me how to paint landscape, but I realized nobody can. You just have to do it. You have to sit there. No better way to paint landscapes than to paint it en plein air. And one critic said, well, you know, it's really amazing that Stieglitz lets you go to New Mexico. She goes, he doesn't let me go. I just go. You know what I mean? He doesn't give me permission. I just go when I want to go. Yeah, girl. But that was her. <laughs> and, and she had this incredible adobe house in, in, in New Mexico. And she painted the ghost. What was it called? Which one? One of her cow skulls? Yeah. And she... And there was a, and there was a very famous mountain. Pentagon or pe- something that she also painted. And she was obsessed with it. And she said that God said that it was yours, you know, and she painted it over and over and over. And she really was a genius at composition, whether it was the flowers that she painted early on or whether it was these New Mexico landscapes. It was all just really composed in such an interesting, different, unique, beautiful way. Absolutely. And there's such a distillation of form that there's an economy of, of means with which she sees either a city if we're talking about her work in the teens when she was living in Manhattan or the female body or the female experience or even just a flower if you look at it from that superficial lens. And then later in New Mexico of the land, of the skull, of what it means to age. And I am always really surprised and overwhelmed by how economical she is as a painter, that she reveals so much in using such simplistic, sim- and such simplistic and such minimal forms. You know, when you talk about the architectural work of George O'Keefe in New York, there's another interesting thing that comes to mind, a moment where Stieglitz says, you know, why are you going to paint architecture? Like, men can't even do that well. And... She, which is not true because Edward Hopper, I think, was the was did a great job of painting New York City. But that was a little bit later. That was a little bit later. That's true. Uh, 
I'm trying to think, is there anybody doing it? Well, okay, so he says men can't even do it well. It's just too, it's too much. But her ideas of composition were so different. And because she was so hyper-stylized, because she didn't paint realistically in a traditional sense, like many artists do, she was able to find these buildings and give them personality. That's what I really love about her architectural. There's drama there. There's personality there. There's sometimes a blinding light on a building where it looks like the sun took a bite out of the architecture. And when she sees sunspots, when she looks up, she paints them as circles, orange on a black structure. And it works. It does. And even though she's painting what she sees, she's observing the world, she still translates it through her own guise of stylization. And so that sunspot that you mentioned doesn't look like a natural sunspot. It is a very defined form. And so there's a a unique dialogue there, I think, between what she sees and her own code of how she represents the world in a very structured architectural way. And so I think that that lends itself beautifully when she's painting architectural buildings themselves. Specifically, the radiator building, I think, captivates the character and the energy of New York. What's great about her also is that she really didn't give two shits about money. There was something about, like, when Stieglitz was very protective of her work, he loved... And that was a great thing, too. The dynamic of them as a couple was great because... And she said famously, like, we, we get along because we like each other. We like each, we respect each other's work. You know, we like each other's work. We let, we let each other do what we want to do. And she would take off all summer by herself and paint in New Mexico and come back. Like, that was what she wanted to do. She just wanted to be by herself for three months out of the year. No Alfred. She loved him, but she was an artist. And that's what she did. So she came back. And, I mean, and... So I'm getting to the point of he said, I don't want to sell any of your work. I just refuse to sell it. And she goes, which worked for me because I didn't care about money. She said, had I cared anything about money, it would have been a big problem in our relationship. Probably would have ruined their relationship. Sure. But all of their weird things work together. He didn't want to sell her work because he had this scarcity thing and perhaps an abundant thing that her work was so valuable, I don't want to ever sell it. Hmm. And she had the... I don't really give a crap about money. I just want enough money to where I can go and paint and live and live. That's it. She didn't, she wasn't driving, she wasn't getting taken everywhere like Lion Decker was, the great American illustrator in his heyday in Rolls Royces and Bentleys, <laughs> right? Or making oodles of cash like Norman Rockwell or many artists historically who were very successful and very famous. She just wanted to paint. And man, did she paint. She worked all the time. You want to talk about work ethic? That's all she did. She just did painting on top of painting on top of painting on top of painting on top of drawing on top of painting. And she she lived for it, man. And she let herself evolve. As you talked about in the beginning, the transmutations of her career were all really successful and really sincere. And I think that that is unusual. Very. And with iconic artists, we will know them for one thing, and maybe there are others that nuance the conversation of the work, but with O'Keefe, it really is equally successful and also indicative of the 
time that she painted in and also in the place. I think that her work is so much about placemaking. And we need to go back and talk a little bit more about the flowers because the rhetoric surrounding them is fascinating and problematic and I think needs to be further dissected. So she's painting flowers. And as you said, she really did not want to be labeled as a painter of vaginas. And that is what she said outwardly, because at the time, we're talking the 1920s, 1930s, there is no language for feminism. We barely have the right to vote. And first wave feminism or first wave women's suffrage is underway. But feminism doesn't start to articulate itself really until the 1960s, early 1970s. And so O'Keefe was prophetic of this movement, this energy, this identification. And so she didn't want to subscribe to something that wasn't fully formed yet. So she ends up being adopted and appropriated by later generations of artists. And she was criticized for not not calling herself a feminist. But I think that we need to be a little bit more sensitive to her because that wasn't even an option at the time that she painted. And the fact that she was able to really embody her own sense of gender to the extent that she did is really incredible. And her flowers, although sure, if you look at them from a literal standpoint, they do look like flowers, but just zoomed in. And again, it's this economy of means. She's discussing the entire flower, but only talking about a part. So it's almost like a synecdoche. The lines and the undulations and the swirls, they indicate the larger body of the flower. But also we could see that as being vulvic and vaginal, and the swirls and the undulations, they represent female pleasure and erotic desire. And I think that she was trying to to figure out what her sexuality meant to her. And that's why I loved what you talked about with Stieglitz and the photographs, because that was how her sexuality, what that meant to him. And now she's reorienting the masculine gaze of female bodies, and she's internalizing it and saying, well, this is what my sexuality feels like. And this is what it looks like to me, not to this male body who is observing. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, she could have taken that on too. She could have said, yeah, exactly. That's what, you know, whatever the critics say is, is what I'm doing. You know what I mean? What he said, you know, but he, but she didn't do that. You know, she didn't do that. She kind of said, no, I'm just doing this because I love doing this. And once again, that's what makes her the ultimate artist is because she's going to do what she wants to do when she wants to do it, how she wants to do it. So she's, even though, let's be real here, it's because of Stieglitz and his power in Gallery 291 Yes, that makes her famous. It's right place, right time, window opens, they push her through. She didn't want to be pushed through. She could have been, she could have been anonymous. She would have been not recognized at all all if uh, she didn't have such a powerful curator slash husband. That's a fact, right? But luckily, she was. And I think her I don't really care about it all attitude adds to the mystique and the, the realness of what she does. And what you said before was very true. Like, usually artists kind of have their peak. Like, yeah, you know, for sure, musicians, you know, I mean, usually, especially today, it's really hard to continually 
be successful all the time. You have that one song or that one album, and then it's like, <laughs> you too, great example. No offense. But um, <laughs> uh, very rare do you have a Beatles where you have hit upon hit upon hit upon hit or, you know, whatever. It's, it's hard. And same with artists. Really, you hit a peak or you hit your voice, or you hit a point where the critics go, yeah, I want more of that. So you're pigeonholed. You're, God, I got to give them more of that. You know, I got to give them more of what they want. And, and same really for actors, too, for the most part. George O'Keefe was always evolving. She was metamorphosizing into different things. She did the flowers, and she, well, first of all, let's not forget the charcoal abstract drawings that were really beautiful, and then she went into the flowers, and then she went into those wonderful landscapes in Santa Fe and then the sim symbolic stuff with the with the cow skulls and the horns and then the architectural paintings of New York City and then back to Santa Fe and you know really a lot of um, a lot of discovery through through different subjects and not even herself she wasn't Rembrandtian or Frida caloric <laughs> in in the way that she really looked at herself in the mirror and, and drew herself. By the way, she looked a lot like Katie Kowitz. I just wanted she to make... She did, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was a really, really weird ana uh, analysis of how she physically looked. She physically had the facial structure of uh, uh, Katie Kowitz and gorgeous hair her whole life. From, and this from emotional young. intensity also yeah. in her eyes, the way that she For is sure. always fixed on something. And I think that her work as a body is very creatively peripatetic, where it's just kind of going. What does peripatetic mean? Like because everybody out there is going to ask, place. and I'm the only one that's going to be able to ask. Peripatetic for is just like moving from thing to thing. Okay, but can't you just I, say moving from thing to thing to speak to I'm us not common say people? Thing to thing. <laughs> hey, I want to move with a sting to that thing around uh, well, when the peripatetic uh, zeitgeist. <laughs> of, okay, good. But it is. And so even though she's moving from thing to thing, okay. it's all skillfully cohesive. You just said it, by the way. You didn't I know. Say peripatetic. I said that intentionally. Okay, so she, <laughs> but, but don't you agree? Like even, I mean, Picasso probably is, is the artist who has the most movements, right? You know, but I don't see blue a period, journey. Rose period, cubism. Right. I don't either. And I think also some of that stuff that Picasso did in the lineage of all his work. I love Picasso. He's one of my favorite artists, but he did a lot of crap. I don't think George O'Keefe did any crap. Not that I've seen, yeah. but I do see the progression that she is very much painting in the place that she's at. And so when she's living in Manhattan with the birth of modern industry and architecture, then she's painting that. And so she's scrutinizing, but always coding it from her own visual language. Mm. And then I do think that the flowers are more of an internal exploration of self. I don't think that she is painting obsessional self-portraits like Rembrandt, but I think hers are more symbolic, are more codified, and that's always how I've interpreted the flowers. I see that as her shifting the gaze from the world to the self. And then I think she reshifts it back to the world in her Santa Fe series. God damn, she's so good. You know what I mean? It's like really is when you see uh, some of the footage of her painting uh, and, her, and her studio, first of all, her Adobe studio, she's sitting by the fireside, she's talking about her paintings. But when you, when you see like her her sitting on the terracotta on you know in in the environment and you see the landscape and you go god that you know that's there's so many artists who have gone there and painted you know i've, I've got friends like tony pro and jeremy lipking who really are uh 
Jennifer McChristian, these great, great, great plein air painters. But she doesn't care. Like, whatever she sees and paints is always through her own lens, her specific lens. And I love that because usually when you see such hyper-stylized work like O'Keefe or somebody who has such a hyper-stylized sensibility like she does, it's created in the studio. It's created in four walls where you're not looking out. Usually those plein air painters, their objective is to capture realism, what they see en plein air, right? Right there at the moment. She doesn't care about that. She's still getting the richness of naturalistic colors and the composition of how how the landscape is moving to her. But she, no matter what, sees it through her own lens. And that is just, that really makes and defines an artist. An artist is not just somebody who can academically, you know, represent what they're seeing or or is great at it, or can make you feel something, but an artist is somebody who will filter the world through their eyes. She does that as good as any other artist has ever done it. And like you said, you know, she doesn't have, we see an evolution, you never see a de-evolution. Like we talked about other artists historically, and I'm sorry to say, but not every artist is always evolving. Sometimes an artist will devolve. I think a really good example of that, in my personal opinion, not to jab at somebody who's passed, is George Bellows. When he was an Ashcan artist, what an incredible painter. He did stuff no one ever did before. Staggett's Sharkies, monumental, epic, masterpiece. Then he gets into fauvism crap. He just becomes a... I mean, just like really... What's happening? I know, and I don't criticize that. I think that that is the expectation. But Georgia O'Keeffe, she far exceeds that. I'm just that. saying a lot of people. Yeah, do. it N. is Wyeth did it, too. His early illustration work in oils was phenomenal when he started to emulate his child, Andrew Wyeth, with this with his tempera paintings. To me, I don't see the greatness anymore. Um, somebody that does continually get great, in my opinion, is Degas. I feel like Degas is always getting better and better, more experimental, more experimental. But she's not even getting more abstract, more abstract. She's just changing her subject. Yeah, she's and pivoting. Her yeah, she's but pivoting. She, but her like a little to this point way. of view is the same. Yeah, right. I love that. And I think that the comparison to Bellows and to Wyeth, that's apt because they're both American painters too. Of course it's apt. I'm, Bua. I'm making I very mean, important brilliant. comments right it's now. It's true. And very but important things. that might round out our discussion of O'Keefe because she is so distinctively passionately American. Really? And what she paints is the American landscape, the American self, the female self. And her work could not have been produced by a European anywhere other than where she was physically living. And I think that's a great statement. You said in the beginning, and I'd like to really reiterate that one more time for people out there, that Georgia O'Keeffe was very different. She wasn't like every single other American artist who felt like they had to go to Europe or they had to go overseas. She kept it real in Manhattan. She kept it real in New Mexico. She kept it real in wherever she was painting. She was painting the American story. She's an American storyteller seen through the eyes of a powerful, mythic, iconic woman. And there you have it. Leave us a beautiful comment somewhere, guys. And until the next time, peace.